Welcome everyone, 2020 and this is a <coughs> recording I'm doing in the January period so <coughs> I'm still in New Year mode and so I hope that you're enjoying so far uh, final weather. It's a bit cool this week but um, we've had some lovely days and it is summer and it's time to be outdoors and I know that lots of people are getting out and enjoying that outdoor activity with their families or friends. So I'm just looking ahead at Senior Focus for the year and I know towards the end of last year I was talking about things that we're going to do this year but I have um, three things to announce right now. One is the applications for the seniors panel at Auckland Council for people who want to be part of the conversations that advise the council on what seniors needs are um, those applications are open now and they close on the 10th of February so if you can um, put uh, seniors panel Auckland Council into Google or you can go to www.careersaucklandcouncil/seniorspanel or lowercase, and that should get you there. Uh, <clears throat> they will give you information about how the panel operates, its monthly meetings, um, that there is an honorarium. Um, it's not really a salary, but um, it does contribute something towards your um, costs of getting into those meetings and that there could be some reading and background uh, study required before you get to those meetings. So <clears throat> for those who are interested, you've got till the 10th of February to get that application in. Now the second thing I want to mention is the cuts to archives. So just before Christmas um, we had announcements and people were circulating on Facebook information about these cuts and how they're going to severely restrict access to those people that travel down to Wellington to access the archives to do research. And while that's not all of us um, by any measure means this, but there are people who do tremendous work, um, often detailed and painstaking over quite a number of years in fact, and who make regular visits to the archives and they're going to find it really difficult because the hours being cut back to say four hours a day means that you might travel to Wellington but you can't actually use your whole day down there doing the work um, because the hours are, are so restricted. So there is a petition circulating, you can write to MPs. This is something where pressure needs to be put onto government, um, otherwise it will just happen in the dead of night. And the third area I wanted to talk about is emergency management because disasters in Australia with the bushfires have highlighted uh, the importance of being well connected in your community. So those people along the southeast coast who've done very well um, in terms of coping with the disaster, um, they've, they've just proven how valuable such community contacts are. And those communities where um, people are well connected, they 
they rise to the occasion and they also recover faster and more smoothly. I was noting myself um, the tremendous uh, work being done by a pharmacist on the south coast, uh, close to Batemans Bay, was a small pharmacy servicing a small community that has no doctor and of course people lose their medicines and you know when the house goes up and burns down and everything goes um, their medication's gone as well so he was travelling to even though he was homeless himself had lost his own home and and was in emergency accommodation he was travelling to the pharmacy each day to open up to get people their medication and of course no power so he wasn't able to uh, use any machinery to uh, take credit cards or, or um, FPOS machines or anything like that. So no power, there was no way of recording um, a lot of the transactions and consequently he was in fact having to give the medication in good faith that he would be paid later. Uh, but that's the sort of community he's in. He's in a community where people do things out of love and goodwill and he was paying back his community in, in kind and being very supportive of them even though he was in his, his own situation of homelessness. So that's just a really good example of uh, the kind of calibre of person that steps up in that kind of context. So why did I bring up emergency management for us? Um, because it's, it's like we're not coping with bushfires, but this is a good time for us to focus in on well, what do we need to have in place to cope well in an emergency? What's important to us? And one thing that's been highlighted uh, with the bushfires is animal welfare because, of course, we know that there's a billion animals um, suffered and been extinguished in the, in the um, whole raging fires situation in Australia. But what we haven't been aware of is the lack of planning nationally for disaster management for how we care for and um, deal with the welfare issues for animals. Now we haven't, uh, suddenly we've now got a horse management plan um, for coping with disasters. We didn't have a horse management plan until the Australian bushfires came up and um, that sort of drove that urgency and that went through late last year um, when the fires weren't quite so bad at that stage. But during the Christchurch earthquakes, we had a lot of problems with animal management and I recall being on the front line and one day being stopped while I was trying to have a lunch break and a woman most distraught was trying to tell me about this horse uh, that she thought the SBCA were going to put down and that would cause her father to have a heart attack. So she was really, really concerned. And when I did inquiries, I found out the horse was about 80 kilometres away, <laughs> quite unable to be um, dealt to by anything that we had in place. 
but I was fortunately through my contacts with the SPCA able to resolve this issue and get someone else to actually go out the ATKs, visit her father and get him a food box as well as repair his broken window and make sure he had heating and because it was actually quite cold and um he was encouraged to participate with the SPCA in the assessment they were going to do of the horse. They were going to pay for a vet to do the full assessment and then make a decision about what had to happen so that it wasn't done arbitrarily um, or in any way inhumanely. And it just brought home to me how important it is that animals are family members. And so uh, it, it is very, very stressful for people and how important it is to have some sort of a management plan that actually prioritises who will do what and what will be covered and how it will be managed. So um, we now have a horse management plan for New Zealand, but there are other um, species, other animals that we aren't uh, so well off, we haven't got a plan for and uh, I think that's an important urgent thing. But coming back to ourselves, we, we can all be responsible for our own pets, we can decide what sort of um, emergency kit we need for our pets so that, you know, if we get to have to leave the property in a hurry, we can take the animal and a kit for the animal, which might include their medications and so on. Uh, for ourselves, we probably need two or three kits. We probably need a kit for our car. We probably need, um, which, oh, incidentally, it's a good idea to have it in a small backpack under your front seat not at the back, where if you get hit from behind and the boot can't be opened, it becomes very difficult to retrieve the pack when you need it. So uh, something that fits under the front seat is ideal. Um, But in your house, you need something, I think, close to your exit way where you can just grab it and go. So um, somebody said, today to me when I was talking about this but if it's downstairs and your building gets full of water or rubble it won't be much use to you so uh, it depends where where you're actually living in the home and where you spend the most time it may be better to have it on the upper floor and um, and after all your means of escape might be off a balcony off a ladder or something it might not be out the front door down below so you've got to think things through and work out what's your best strategy what is likely most likely to happen under which circumstances and actually think through all the different options um as you're planning but certainly uh it's a, it, important to have supplies that you keep in your home so that if there is an emergency, there's a run on things at the um, supermarket, you actually have enough to keep you going for a couple of weeks because that's what the government says. Two to three weeks is what you need to cater for yourself um, before emergency people can be expected to come in and um, support you. So (coughs) having your own kit in your own cupboard, in your own pantry, your emergency food is fine, but something I've noticed is that people leave it there a long time and then it passes the use-by date. 
Uh, so periodically you actually have to eat the emergency food and replace it so that it actually stays fresh and um, it is in reasonable condition for you to use it in a real emergency. I think also the probably the number one thing that people don't do well enough because I know a number of seniors are really very well organised and, and I've come across at least 50% in meetings who have got emergency kits there and they've got two or three and they've got them and they know where they are. They've got other people informed about them and they also have got um, a plan in place. Um, but I also know at least 50% in the meetings don't have any planning at all. So it's more... Um, I guess people who kind of think it won't happen to them or, um, you know, we don't have disasters in New Zealand, and although I think that most people realise we do now um, since we've had Christchurch and Kaikoura and Ward and um, White Island, you know, we, we actually have had a number of floods, a number of um, uh, situations where seniors have been evacuated in quite large numbers. I think we've got sufficient happening um, at least once or twice a year to make people need to really take this seriously. But going back to my original point, um, the thing that people fall down on often is the plan. So, yes, they've got the kit and everything else, but they haven't worked out a plan of what they'll do or who they'll communicate with. And one woman I was talking to said, oh, well, I'll, I'll ring you, you know. I said, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> you might not be able to ring me because the power might be out. Secondly, I'm a long way away. Um, you're not going to be able to walk to me on foot. I may not be able to drive to you. And um, I may not know that there's anything wrong. Um, I may have other people on my plan that I have to deal with. So... Let's get real about this. If you haven't talked it through and you haven't worked out the practicalities, it won't necessarily happen. It won't work in the real situation. I know when I've been travelling, um, particularly in third world countries, where things can be um, happening rather abruptly and there can be sudden changes in um, transportation and weather and so on, um, I've always had a plan in that situation and the plan was um, not to go backwards if I was separated from my partner the plan was always to go to the destination that we were en route to get to that we'd meet up when we got to the destination and um, that did happen you know there was a disaster and it was uh, I won't go into that story but I will just say that um I did a complete train trip on my own, not sure what the outcome would be, uh, not sure whether my partner would be alive or not or injured um, because he'd fallen um, from the train and we didn't know where he'd landed. So I got to Churchgate Station in Mumbai and... I waited and fortunately there was a family on the train who waited with me, which I was very grateful for. And the story went very well in the end, but it was quite a scary business. Now, whatever happens in life, if you've got a plan and you've actually thought the plan through, you're far better prepared than if you have no plan. 
And if you want other people to help you or you want other people to be able to contact you, then you've got to share that plan. You really actually have to take other people into your confidence, not just assume that they're going to be around or that, you, or that you're going to come looking for them. No, no, it's got to be worked out. It's got to be talked through and it's got to be known and understood and shared with more than one person and preferably um, you'll have two or three people involved in that plan so that, you know, you can really um, think that, um, yeah, this, this is actually going to practically work and be confident about it. I think that um, we do take a lot for granted in New Zealand. We have a very good life here and life is, is a lot less stressful than it is in a lot of other places. Uh, so therefore we're inclined to think we'll be okay uh, we can rely on so and so and just be very casual about it I think though that the world is changing and the evidence is, is upon us that uh, we need to be very mindful and we need to be much more prepared and we need to also think that in a changing environment maybe things that we rely on every day won't necessarily be working and we need to um, really get our heads around what would what would be the most satisfactory what would be the the way that would really be meaningful and practical and that's why we get back to neighbors and the importance of knowing people that live close by people that you can walk to in a matter of a few meters uh, they don't have to be your best friends, but they may be your best allies in this kind of situation. So once a year we have Neighbours Day, and so this year I'll be doing a program around Neighbours Day in the lead up to it um, with suggestions about things that you can do on Neighbours Day to better connect with the people in your street. It's school holidays at the moment, and it's a time where quite often... People spend more time with their grandchildren, people uh, connecting up with their nieces and nephews and their children and so on. And it gives you opportunities to do things that you perhaps wouldn't do in the normal school year. Like you might take a ferry trip to Devonport. And why Devonport? Because they have a fantastic library. And often kids like to go to libraries these days. They're wonderful places, not like the libraries that I had growing up, where the lino was brown on the floor and there was hardly any lighting, so you could hardly see the names and the titles of the books. And the authors are very dingy, dismal place. The library was locally, and I had to walk there because there was no um, connecting bus. And... So it was a big excursion uh, to a rather dingy brown hole. Nowadays, kids have great libraries that they can visit, and it's really good to visit other libraries that perhaps you don't go to normally. You can still return books in those other libraries, uh, but the Devonport Library has won a lot of awards, including an International Architects Award, and it's, it's particularly exciting. And it's by the water and uh, this great fish and chips and um, general sort of playground 
associated with it so that there's plenty to be done and enjoyed and it's a great outing. But there's more to um, school holidays than just that. I mean, there's places like Motat where you could get free entry with your gold card and uh, you can actually show these uh, young people old telephones and of course they can have fun working out how to work them Uh, and you can demonstrate and tell stories Uh, there's many many things you can share and uh, the the kids are fascinated and they love hearing the stories of what you experienced and how you found things and used things and it, it really comes to life. It's so much more exciting than the parents taking them. So I really would recommend that you take advantage of uh, MOTAT, you take advantage of the ferries, and, of course, there's quite a lot of free activities around uh, Auckland Anniversary Day and the supports of Auckland has an open day. Um, there are opportunities to go out in the tugboats. There's so much that takes place in Auckland in late January, that it's a, a really exciting place to be. So I would recommend that you um, plan ahead and that you work out things to do because the end of the holidays can be a bit tiresome and everyone can get a bit tired and a bit ratty. But if you turn it into um, an adventure and have a few fun outings to look forward to, then you can really have a lot of fun. Now, I think it's time for a music, music break and I've chosen a track, um, Persuasion, off um, one of my favourite albums, which is Together in Concert. It's a live Tim Finn, Big Ronger and Dave Dobbin album.
with Senior Focus next Sunday at 5.25pm on Planet FM 104.6 or listen online at any time at planetaudio.org.nz forward slash Senior Focus. Now my wrong to hunger.